name is Ricky. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, yeah, if you do have a Bible, do open it up to 1 Corinthians 15. So that's in the New Testament. If you've gone to 2 Corinthians, you've gone too far. Um, so 1 Corinthians 15. In the fall, we went through, uh, we're working our way through the book of Matthew. We did the Sermon on the Mount. That was uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7. Uh, And then for Advent, we went through uh, Matthew uh, chapter 1 and 2. Right now, we're going to be taking a few Sundays uh, to be going through our core values, the things that we hold near and dear to our heart here at City Light South, uh, the things that define us as a church, that make us who we are, and um, the things that we're, we're just going to kind of go to the mat for. And, um, and then afterwards, we'll jump back into Matthew and keep working our way through uh, the book of Matthew. So... Um, you know, going through core values, some, you know, if you're new, you're like, cool, this will be great. This, you know, I get to kind of really know what the, what the church is about. If you've been around for a while, you might be like, oh, gosh, yeah, the core values, super. Um, but these are really important because we can all drift. How many of you remember the, the company called Kodak? All right, good. I'm glad. I was like, and I'm old. Um, I mean, this was, uh, Kodak used to be basically the, the big dog when it came to camera, cameras, camera film. Um, I mean, even if you took a picture, they, they had a saying, it was like, that was a Kodak moment. It was like, hey, that was a moment worth capturing uh, on film, we're, we're a moment worth taking a picture of. It was, hey, you, you really want to memorize that. That was a Kodak moment. Um, and so they've drifted pretty far away from, those, from what they used to be, from those Kodak moments. So in 2012, the Kodak company filed bankruptcy. And today... They basically have nothing to do with Kodak moments or with cameras or anything like that. They produce chemicals and they're a pharmaceutical company, right? Something totally different than what they used to be. It's quite a big change. But drifting doesn't just happen with companies. It can happen with us, right? It happens with people, Right, you know what, maybe, maybe you've experienced that. You go to college, you're excited, you're going to jump into this degree, you're going to get A's and all of this stuff, and you're going to keep your scholarship, but then you kind of drift into the party scene, and then your scholarship maybe drifts away. Right, you, you get into a relationship, you're like, oh man, this is going to be great, hey, let's really honor each other, let's pursue Jesus together, but you drift into lust. Man, you, ha- you have a, um, you know, you, maybe you're married, and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're married. You're one. Oh, wow. Hey, this is fun. And then you just kind of, years go by, and then you just kind of drift into the monotony of life. And then Tuesday is like, oh yeah, I guess I have a spouse I should be intentional with. <laughs> what show do you want to watch? Right? And then you're just like, you're just like, I don't know. Hey, there's a marriage conference next week, right? We all need help. We all need sharpening. You, you, some of you are really big goal people for New Year's resolution. I know that my wife, Christy, has asked us many times in our home, what's your New Year goal? It's like, how about to just answer this question so you can stop asking me, <laughs> right? <clears throat> You're like, hey, I'm going to get in shape. But then those cookies come around, and you just drift right out of that New Year's resolution. That's why I just don't make them. That way I don't have to drift out. So it's like, I'm going to eat the cookie. I know I'm going to do this, right? So, so we, we, we all drift, and... and that, that drifting that can happen to us as individuals, that can also happen to us 
as a church. We could come, we could think, hey man, we're, we're, we're people that, that know God, that are saved by Jesus, but we could really quickly drift into being in just an audience. We could really quickly just drift into, well, I guess I'll just do the good kind of churchy Midwestern thing and I just will come to church on Sundays because that's just what you're supposed to do rather than actually pursuing Jesus to know him. And, and so we, we regularly put these, these core values on our radar, go through them to be like, hey, let's not drift. What has Jesus done and who has he called us to be uh, here at City Light South? And let's rally to that. Let's not drift into just the monotony of everything. And so our core values uh, are, are just set by directional arrows, down, up, in, out. And so the down is the gospel that Jesus has come down, uh, that he has initiated towards us to save us. Up is our response to him in just spiritual formation, becoming like him, growing in Christ-likeness, imitating Christ. In is community, pursuing one another uh, loving each other in these intentional relationships. And then out is mission, pursuing uh, our, our city, pursuing our world uh, so that they can, we can make disciples and, and help people know Jesus. And so today, we're going over down, just the gospel. And, and really, I would say this. If you, you have to get this core value if you want to get any of the other ones. Because without the gospel, the other ones don't matter. Right, that th this, is the, this is the thing that really drives everything that we do. Everything else is a response to what Christ has done for us. Man, why do we want to know Christ? Well, because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Why do we want to really pursue each other in, in some intentional relationships? Well, because who Christ is and what he's done for us, who he's made us. Man, why do we want to pursue this world? Because of what Christ has done for us, he could do for them. He has done for them. And so it really just drives everything for us. Jesus came down to earth. He's come down into our lives. We're saved, changed, and empowered by Christ. And so as we get going into this morning and we think, hey, this is the core value uh, of City Light South is down, I also want you to just ask yourself this question. Man, is Jesus and his gospel really core to my life? Not just to City Light South, but is that really central to you? to your life, to what you're doing this week, this year, is who Christ is and what he's done for you. And so, again, if you got a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians 15. I'd encourage you, follow along. Don't just look at me. Look at the words. All right, so 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I want to make clear for you, maybe your, your version here says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters... So this is, this is the church. These are people that, that claim to follow Jesus. I want to remind you, I want to make clear for you the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold to this message, I preached to you unless you believe in vain. For I passed on to you as most, what's most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And after that, he appeared to, to Cephas, then to the 12. And so three observations, three things that we're going to be going through this morning from this text. First is that the gospel is good news. Second is that the gospel is of, is of first importance. And then third is that the gospel changes us. And so Paul starts off 
Here says, I want to remind you, I want to make this very clear to you. You got to get this. I want to remind you of the gospel. And so let's just start there. What, what is the gospel? And that, that word there, gospel, and I don't know if exactly I'll pronounce it right, but it's, it's eangelion. That's, this is the Greek word there is eangelion, which just means good news. And so when we say, hey, the good news, the gospel, that's just what that word means. It's, it's good news. And, and at this time, this, this word, good news, wasn't necessarily this super religious word. It was just kind of this generic word, again, that just meant good news. And so if, if you were out in the battlefield and, and hey, your side's going to win, your side is victorious, and you're going to go back to report to the king or the commander or whoever it might be or just the, the people of the village, you'd be like, hey, gospel, good news, we've won. It's a report of what's happened. Hey, I got cookies coming out of the oven, gospel. All right, I obviously have a problem, and diabetes is in my future, but it just, it's this declaration of what has happened, and it's just good news. We're, man, this, this is what's been done for us, and, and here's this important thing when we say the gospel is the gospel good, is good news, not good advice. It's good news, not good advice. Good news, again, is, is and I know that might sound pretty simple, but this is actually a pretty key thing for, you to, for us to clarify in this. That the, the gospel, when it's good news, it's, hey, it's this report of what has been done, what has, ha, has happened. Good advice is, hey, this is what you need to do. Hey, do you want to do this thing well? Then do ABC. That's what you should do. It might, it might be good information. Good, good advice could be helpful in, information. But I mean, think about that. Hey, if you want to be a good person, hey, if you want to be a good person, then here's some things that you'd want to do. All of this stuff that you read on social media, or if you swipe left and there's, there's the Apple News, that if it has to somehow not do with COVID, it'll, it'll be like, hey, here's, here's four things that really intelligent people do. And then you're like, why do I need to read that? I already know I do all of those. Um, or you, you, not me, you are insecure and you're like, oh, I want to make sure I'm intelligent. I'll read the four things that intelligent people do and I'll make sure that I do them too. Right? I did look at it the other day. And so, so that, that's also, it, it's, it's, hey, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to do it. And so when it, when it comes to, let's say, religion or, or God, good advice is, hey, if you pray hard enough, if you act good enough, if you do ABC good enough, then you will be good enough. And then once you are good enough, because you followed the good advice that we've given you, then God will like you. God will accept you because you followed the good advice. You followed the, the, the good moral code. You're a good enough person. And because you're a good enough person, then you'll reach heaven, you'll reach nirvana, you'll reach enlightenment, and God will accept you. God gives you this good advice. If you go through these steps and perform, then there you go. It'll turn out well for you. But that's not the gospel. The gospel doesn't tell you, hey, if you can measure up, if you could do all these things, then you're good. The gospel is telling you actually to the one who really is good, and that's Jesus. With good advice, there's lots left to do. And, and we, we tend to approach the Bible that way. Right, we tend to open it and be like, okay, this, the, the Bible, this is this great instruction book on telling me what to do. 
I don't know if you've ever found it actually doesn't tell you a lot of things to do. Should I take this job? Should I, how should I discipline my kid? I don't know. Just go to your room and get away. <laughs> Not that that ever happens to me. But, you know, and, and we, we tend to think, man, here's some good things. Here's some principles to live by that will improve my life. Here's some expectations, some moral obligations. And if I, if I do them, then God's happy with me. But the gospel, that's not the gospel. The gospel, the, the scripture is not, di- not different from other religions in that it gives us a different kind of behavior checklist that we need to do that's just different from the other ones. It's this declaration that, hey, actually everything that, of how you should be as a human, you can't do, but Christ has done for you. He's accomplished it. I saw, saw this just last week. Buddha, you know, the founder of Buddhism, his very last words, his dying last words were this, strive unceasingly. Work hard to gain your own salvation. Do your best. And then think of Jesus' last words when he was dying. It is finished. Good advice, good news. This has been done for you. And, and, and Paul here, he, go, he, he, he unpacks, what is this good news? Look at verse three. For I passed on to you what is most important, what I also received. Christ died for our sins. I mean, I think that we've heard that, and especially if you've kind of grown up in Nebraska, kind of grown up in church world, we can hear that, and that, that statement really loses a lot of its weight because maybe we've heard it a lot, but but just listen to this. Let this sink in. Christ, Jesus, God the Son, died for our sins. Christ, God in flesh, died for your sins, for your mistake, for your darkness, for all those thoughts that you have that people don't even know about. Christ died for you. And, and it's, it's, it's personal. This is not just some distant God doing some act. This is a God that knows you very intimately, that's created you, that knows all of your shortcomings, all of the depths of your sin and darkness, and has died for you. And let me just un- unpack this for a second. Jesus dying for our sins, this was a plan from, from the Trinity, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is not just Jesus, kind of a, a loving part of God, dying for sins for an angry, big Old Testament God. No, this is the Trinity making this plan together. It says, according to, he died according to the scriptures. This was the plan from the beginning. In Ephesians 1, it says that this was according to the riches of his grace and according to his good pleasure, according to his will that all of this was, was happening and was going to happen, God purposing to rescue you, to rescue us from sin. And in a few like theological terms here, there's this theological term, it's penal substitutionary atonement. Awesome. And so let me just kind of break that down. You know, penal just means like, hey, that, that, that's penalty. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. We live in, in a world, a society that, that does really care about justice. And I think that that's, that's a good thing. And so, hey, if, the, if somebody does something 
that we think, hey, that's pretty bad. Shouldn't, shouldn't there be some sort of justice? I mean, they, they shouldn't just kind of get off scot-free for that. And we've all done something. We've all sinned. And Jesus said, hey, the penalty for that is death. I'm going to pay that penalty for you. I'll die in your place. That's what substitutionary meant, that, that he's going to die. He's going to pay that, the, that punishment in your place. And then atonement just means that, hey, all of your sins, past, present, future, all of those sins are atoned for, that, that you could be blameless, that you are no longer guilty of those things, that you could be forgiven. Heaven is assured. Jesus did it all. There, there's, there's nothing left to do. It is finished. Let me just keep unpacking this. This is one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Jesus, the one who did not know sin, to be sin for us. So Jesus was made sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. They call this the great exchange. And so all of our junk, all of our sin, all of our guilt, shame, everything that we've done, Jesus became sin for us. All of that goes on to him so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so his right standing, his perfection, his you know, right standing with God, his, his acceptance with God comes to us through faith by grace. Let me, let me just give you an illustration for this. One day, I, I've shared this a few years back, but it's, it's really good. One day, my son Colton, this was a few years back, He's trying for the first time Super Mario Kart on the Nintendo 64. Yes, one of the greatest games. And he, let's just say he's not any good. He stinks. I mean, he can't even figure out how to go. He's not on the road. He's just like hitting the wall. Bam, 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 bam. Well, back up. I don't know how to back up. Hey, just push the gas. I, ah, you know, he's just going nowhere. And, and his place in the race is dead last. And, and he's, he's kind of panicking. And I'm just like, who cares? Just learn how to do it. But he, he's just so bad. He's not learning anything. And he's like, Dad, just, 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 just race this race for me. So he puts, you know, I, I get the remote. And I don't want to brag, but I'm good. And, uh, <laughs> and so I'm racing, you know, like, bam, red turtle shell. What's up? And uh, power slide. Let's go. And I, and I get all the way through it, and I win the race first place. And I'm like, all right, well, hey, do you want to try? No, no, no. You keep racing for me. Okay, so we're, we're in the, I don't know, the mushroom cup, whatever cup it is. And, um, and so I race all four races, first, 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 first. And then at the end, they, they do this kind of little ceremony thing and, you know, first, second, third, kind of drive up to this castle. And if you're first place, you get this big gold trophy. And so they're kind of driving up and I'm just like, huh? So I put the remote in his hand. And, and then as the, he gets the trophy and the trophy's coming down, he just goes, I won. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean, boy, you what? That's, that's your dad. <laughs> like, I won. Wait, wait, all you did was stink so bad that you needed somebody to do this for you. And that's how it is with Christ and us. All you did, all you provided was the sin that was necessary for Christ to show up. That's it. And just like I like, could only earn that for Colton, do something that he so couldn't do, that's what Christ has done on your behalf. And then through the cross and resurrection, you get to say, I've won. Not because of what I've done, 
Not because of what I can do, not because of some sort of steps that I go through to improve myself and I made all these New Year's resolutions and I accomplished them. No, it's you have done nothing. Christ has done it for you and his righteousness comes onto you and your sin went onto him and he paid it for you in full. That's what Christ has done for us. That is good news. And in verse four, when it says that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, he not only paid the penalty for sin, which is death, he defeated death by raising again. That's kind of a big deal. No one else has done that. He now, because, man, he's, he's paid the price for your sin, which is death, and then he defeated death, he offers you eternal life through him. Resurrection life for whoever believes in him. Death doesn't have the last word. We have this saying in our, in our home, it really comes around, out around Easter, but man, the tomb's empty, baby. Man, Christ is risen. Man, I don't have to wonder, man, did, did, did Jesus really get all my sin? Man, the tomb's empty. Man, did, did Jesus really kind of, am I really okay with God? I have, man, I've had a really bad week. Tomb's empty. And just like that tomb's empty, I'm okay with God because of what Christ has done for me. The Bible calls this grace, undeserved, unmerited. You can't earn it, but Christ freely gives it because you absolutely can't do it. You can't deserve it. Man, that's just this outpouring of God's love and his grace. And so Jesus, he, he took uh, the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And now by faith, we can be adopted. We can be children of God, united with Jesus, with, in God, union with him, not, not only loved by God, but liked by God. And this, this is really good news, but this can also be kind of frustrating. Because the world that we live in doesn't encourage this, right? The world that we live in is like, get it done. Work hard. Hey, you could be whatever you dream to be as long as you work really hard to do it. Good things come to those who do good things. Karma, right? We, you're, and the world also likes to say, well, you're not really that bad of a person, that's why the biggest section in the book in, in you know, Barnes and Noble and that is self-help, right? Because it's, hey, it's not like you're really messed up. You just need a few tweaks. That's it. You can do it. Just work a little bit. Here's the checklist, right? Think of even how we typically approach the Bible. We kind of live in this Devo world, well, I'm going to read a little passage, and then the first question that we ask is this. How does this apply to me? Show me what I'm going to do this week. How does this apply to me, Bible? Little Devo. Here's the thing. You're not the point. Christ is the point. It's not what you got to do. It's what Christ has done. The Bible shouldn't just be leading us to just do some things. It should be leading us to worship Man, it's about him, Christ, his goodness, his glory. Not a better version of you, but the amazing, perfect, loving God that's already exists and is here with me, pursuing me. The gospel is, is, is good news, but also offensive because you are far worse than you think you are. But you're more loved than you could ever dream or imagine. 
I love what it says in, in John chapter six. There's this crowd and they, they ask Jesus, hey, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? I mean, and I just kind of imagine if we're kind of there, I mean, we're like, all right. Hey, that's a great question, Frank. Let everybody, let's write this down. Let's get out our phones and let's put it in our notes. Let's put it in our planner because whatever Jesus is about to say, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? Let's take note of this. All right, here we go. This is what we're going to be doing. And then Jesus says this, the work of God is this, that you believe in him whom he sent. Believe in me. That's the work of God. You know what you need to do? Just believe in me. That's it. Again, on the cross, Jesus said that it is finished. What's left for you to do? Just believe. Have faith. It's not, the gospel is not good advice about what we have to do, but good news about what Christ has done. And so the second thing, second thing that I'd have you write down is this. The gospel is of, of first importance. Look at verse three. The gospel is of first importance. So, for I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, if the Bible, which is, the most important piece of literature ever, right? This is, this is God's word. God superintended its writing through the Holy Spirit, through people, right? And if the most important book ever says, hey, this is the most important thing, we should probably take notice of that. And it, Paul says, man, I passed you what was of first importance, the gospel, that Christ died. It's, man, it's, it's, the gospel is above all. The, and, and here's why. The Bible's not just these fragmented stories. Hey, here's a story about Adam and Eve. Hey, here's another story about Moses. Here's a story about David. And there's just some cool stories. And hey, if you're old enough, you could flannel graph that stuff. Boom. That's old school Sunday school. <laughs> We're kind of glad we got rid of those. But, right? It's not just these random stories or some principles to learn. No, the Bible is this unified story pointing us to Jesus. It's all about him and his gospel. Martin Luther said it this way, remove Christ from the scriptures and there's nothing left. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter five, man, you search the scriptures. You're digging in there. Because you think that they contain eternal life, but you fail to see this, that they testify about me. You should have come to me for eternal life because that's what the scriptures are doing. The scriptures are not pointing to themselves. The scriptures are pointing to me. After Jesus' resurrection in Luke 24, he's walking on the Emmaus Road with a couple of his disciples and they don't actually really recognize him and he's unpacking all of the scriptures, all of the law and the prophets and everything to them and saying, hey, yeah, they testify about me. They're all about me. And he says, the scriptures, uh, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. I mean, Jesus plainly stated, hey, you want, you want to know what the scripture's about? It's about me. 
It's about me, what I'm going to do, that I'm going to die, that I'm going to pay the price for sin, I'm going to raise again, and that repentance for sin will be preached everywhere. And, and we, we kind of can turn this into kind of a playbook, an instruction manual. And we want sermons. Hey, here's four steps. Again, not that steps are, steps are bad. But again, the, the gospel is of first importance because we're not here to, to do moralism, to just kind of behave better, become better people, self-improvement religion. If the gospel is not above all, it's no longer the gospel anymore. I mean, think about this. In scripture, other than Christ himself, there's only one thing that's ever referred to to have the power to save. Romans 1.16 Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power to bring salvation for everyone who believes. It's this unstoppable, death-defeating power of God to save. And if the gospel is not of first importance, we're going to make something else of first importance. I mean, in, in kind of church, in church world, we can easily make the, the most important thing is just about how do we get bigger? Growth strategies, social media engagement, leadership, qualities or deficiencies, budget size. I mean, I, I, mean, I know in Lincoln, you know, we, different times, and, and I get it. You know, we, we, we sometimes, God leads us to, to transition to a different church, and we kind of think through that, and we, you know, we even kind of church shop which we don't like, but it is what it is, right? And, and think, what, what is the thing that we're looking for? Man, you got a good kids ministry? Is your worship awesome? Or do you just have kick butt sermons? Rather than what's of first importance, the gospel. This is who Christ is. What he's done, the power of God to save, change and transform people is the gospel. And if we miss the gospel, we miss everything. We miss the whole point. Because if we take away the gospel, we're no longer Christians, and this is really no longer a church. Our, our up, our, our spiritual formation just in response to God, if you take away the gospel, all it is is just hoops to jump through. It's just self-improvement. You take away the gospel, all we are, we're not, we're not a family to belong to, we're just a social club, just like any other thing. You take away the gospel and us reaching out to the world to point them to Jesus, all it becomes is service projects. That's it. We're not pointing people to anything bigger than themselves. The gospel is above all. Jesus, his gospel is above your preferences, it's above your politics, it's above your culture. It's above having just a good church service. We're about Jesus. He is the hero. We've come to worship him. So the, go the gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel is of first importance. And lastly, the gospel changes us. You know, we, we kind of tend to think that the gospel is great for when you don't know Jesus, and then the gospel kind of comes in and then helps you to become a Christian. And then, cool, and then after that, if you trust in Christ, become a Christian, then, then you kind of leave the gospel and you go on to, to deeper theology and talking about 
predestination and Calvinism and how Calvinists are grumpy and whatever it might be. <laughs> Happy Calvinists, right? But um, you, we think that you kind of graduate into real, real theology. But here, the gospel is not just the ABCs. It's the A through Z. It's not, it's not just the diving board that you kind of jump off into, into Christian life or into to theology, and then you dive into the pool of deeper theology. The gospel is the diving board and the pool. It's what you're diving deeper into. Because the more that we look at the gospel, at who Jesus is, what he's done, who he's made us, his life, death, resurrection, the more that we grow. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this, so Paul says that we grow spiritually, that we are transformed. Hey, you want to know how to change? You want to know how you're, you're transformed? When we behold Jesus and we gaze into his glory. Paul doesn't say, hey, you want to change? Try hard. Right? Hey, you want to change? Man, look at Christ. Behold him, his glory. You want to have actually new delights, new affections, new loves and passions? Man, look to Christ. Look to the Gospels. That's how you become more like him. In Ephesians 3, Paul, Paul says, man, this is the reason I bow my knee. I'm getting on my knees praying that you could comprehend the height, depth, width of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Hey, I want you to understand what you can understand, the love of Christ. And then, I mean, look here in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now I want to make it clear for you. I want to remind you brothers and sisters of the gospel that I preach to you, of which you take in your stand. Paul is writing to, to not new, like to people that don't know Christ. He says, brothers and sisters, he's writing to believers, to Christians. This is what I want to remind you of, this gospel. And the reason that they needed reminding, that you and I need reminding, is because we drift. I mean, do you, do you just drift into thinking that God loves you and likes you? Or it's just like, yeah, that just comes so naturally to me. Or do you drift into like, I better perform for God? You know how I get God? When, you know when God, I mean, think about it. When do you think God is absolutely most delighted in you? It's when you're having a quiet time, when you're reading the Bible? Probably. But man, hey, I, did, I went on a mission trip. God is like, thumbs up today. That's a like. Or is it when it's like, man, you know what? I've fallen into sin and I'm just crawling to my savior, Jesus, and asking you for your grace and love. Is God like, man, that's my boy. I love you. When do you think that God's most pleased with you? We drift, right? We drift into, yeah, it's grace, but. Yeah, it's forgiveness, but. Right, because we, we think, well, wait, hey, we, we don't want to make it too much love, too much grace. Right? We, we have to do something, right? We need to keep it balanced. We need to perform a little bit. It can't just be free. Our tendency is to just kind of hop back on that treadmill of performance. We think, yeah, maybe we're saved by grace, but how we stay good with God is not by grace, it's by us. And Paul says, man, brothers and sisters, let me remind you of the gospel. That's what you're taking your stand in. This is the gospel is Jesus. 
And so the, the, the Christian life is reminding ourselves, is diving deeper and deeper into the gospel. Just as, just as we're saved by believing the gospel and beholding Christ, that's also how we're sanctified and changed, is by beholding Christ. And what, what happens is, is as we, the, the grace of God is more and more realized, the, the gospel is more fully experienced, and, and just, just we dive deeper into it, that produces obedience in us. That produces change in us. Paul, in, in Galatians 3, verse 3, he, he asks this question. Hey, how are you being changed? How are you being sanctified? How are you becoming more like Christ? And he says, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit. Hey, after you, know, you became a Christian, you got saved by means of the Spirit. Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Basically saying, hey, you became a Christian. You became saved, okay with God, right with God. Having your sins forgiven. That started by a work of the Spirit through God's grace by Christ. Hey, but now, are you, are you trying to just do it by your own means in becoming more like Christ? Because just like it started by grace of God, it's going to continue by the grace of God. And I mean, this, this week, you're going to struggle with some sort of something. You're going to struggle with insecurities. Man, what, is that, what do other people think of me? You're going to struggle with wanting control in your life. You're going to struggle with really wanting to cling to every comfort in your life and, and trying to get your life as comfort, comfortable as possible. And you'll start looking at probably not super bad things, but good things that are meant to not be ultimate things, and you're going to make those ultimate things in your life. So as that happens this week, this month, what will you need? Will you just need a get her done? Don't do that. Or are you going to be needed to be reminded of when you are struggling to, to pursue, to lie, to exaggerate, to get the approval of other people? Are you just going to need to be reminded of, wait a minute, the creator of the universe, the creator of, of me, my heart, my soul, loves me. And I did nothing to earn it. And there's nothing, I, there's nothing I have done to make God love me less, and there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. Are you just going to be needed to be reminded of God's goodness? When, when, you, when you're wondering, like, gosh, man, I need to control everything. I need to make sure everything is exactly the right way. Are you just going to be needed to be like, don't do that? Or are you going to be needed to be reminded that, wait a minute, when I feel like life is out of control, when I feel like things are crazy, I will measure God's power by the resurrection. Man, if he defeats death, then surely he's in control of this situation, in control of this world. The gospel, man, it changes everything. It changes us. It is first importance. And I just, I just want to ask you this question. Is Christ, is Jesus and his gospel the most important thing in your life? Is that what your life is, is based on? Are you making decisions this week because of the gospel, because of Christ? You know, some, some of you probably aren't Christians. You probably haven't actually trusted in Christ. 
Sure, you think that Jesus is real, but you actually haven't trusted in him. You still think that, hey, I, 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 yeah, it's Jesus, but also because I'm a good person. I haven't done some really bad things. Or you're, you haven't really trusted in Christ because you think that you've done so many bad things. Would you let today be the day where you say, man, I'm not holding on to my performance. I'm not holding on to my past sin. I'm not holding on to trying to do things good enough to try to get God to, be, to love me and to get in good standing with God. I'm gonna trust in Christ. I'm gonna trust in the gospel of what, of who he is, that he's fully paid the price for my sin, all of them, and that he gives me life through Christ by his grace. Because I can't earn it, I can't deserve it. Let today be the day where you trust in Christ. You know, some of you, you are, you are Christians, you are following Christ. You know, is the gospel really you know, in Christ, is that the most important thing in your life? Is that what you're basing your life off? Do you feel exhausted? Do you feel just tired? Because you're like, you know what? I've been, I've been on that spiritual treadmill, of, of that spiritual performance treadmill, just trying to do good enough. You even feel it now because you've probably made five, six, seven New Year's resolutions. And you know what? Those can be good. Those can be helpful. But are you just trying to be like, hey, I want to I wanna make some good decisions to pursue Christ or I'm trying to make some decisions so that Christ gives me a gold star, gives me a thumbs up? And if you're, or, or, or is God becoming mundane to you? Or it's just like, sure, he's cool. I'd encourage you, man, dive deeper and deeper into the gospel. Let it be of the first importance in your life. Keep looking at Christ. Look, keep looking at his love for you that you can't earn. Your identity with him, your union with him. Even just pray if you're like, yeah, Ricky, that sounds good, but man, my, my desire for that is low. Pray and just ask the spirit, ask God, God, give me more desire for you. God, help me to believe more. Help, help you to just become more alive in the gospel to become more and more of amazing good news rather than just mundane news. Help this to be the thing that defines who I am. It's not about my income. It's not about my approval for others. It's not about just kind of controlling my, my situation, my kids, my relationships, whatever that might be. But your love for me, who you've made me in you and the grace that you've lavished on me. We do not need another savior. We do not need another focus. We do not need another power. We need Christ more and more. And faith in Christ and what, who he is and what he's done will change us and will change this world. And just like Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, we resolve with Paul to know nothing but Christ crucified and to let the gospel hold first place importance for us as a church and for us in our lives and hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you that there is good news, that there is great, fantastic news. Lord, that, that you do save us from our sin, save us from our death, and you save us not to just try harder anything, but you save us to yourself, Lord, that we are reconciled to you, we're united to you. And Lord, that we can have this permanent right standing with you, Lord, because it's not based on our good week, but it's based on 
Christ on what you have done for us, of what you've earned for us, of what we couldn't do for ourselves. Lord, that you have freely given to us and you just say, hey, just believe, trust. So Lord, I pray that as we just move forward, Lord, as a church, that that we would always cling to your gospel, that we'd always have the gospel be of first importance. Lord, just not as a church collectively, Lord, but also individually, Lord, may may today, may tomorrow, um, may we continue to dive deeper into who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, may we continue to, to remind ourselves over and over, Lord, of who we are in Christ, of who you are. So God, give us that strength. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.